Today's podcast features two very special guests, Dr. Steve Dorsley and Dr. Shwana Hansford, two of our amazing graduates from our Russell Sage doctoral program. On this episode, they'll be discussing their latest business endeavor, Strategies Matters, a blog set out to inform and support various projects throughout education with a unique team of bloggers that are seasoned educators and administrators. I did want to start off by saying or asking, how has life been since becoming doctors? <laughs> ah, uh, life is life. You know, it keeps going. You know, you um, when you accomplish something, I think what comes immediately after that feeling of relief of having gone over, you know, that mountain is that there's something else, you know, that you're going to have to tackle. And, and it's just... Um, a perpetual forward moving, you know, idea that there's always more to do in this world. Um, so, and life continues, no matter what we are going through, no matter what we undertake, life continues and it keeps happening and there's something more coming ahead. So for me, that's what it's been. What about you, Dr. Steve Dorsley? Uh, thank you for that. Um, I, I think answering that question, I, I think of it in two, in, in at least two ways. On a personal level, it's a wonderful accomplishment. I think the acknowledgement from the family, the loved ones, the friends uh, that I've reached an important milestone is very, very, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful accomplishment because you know that having a doctorate is the top of the degrees in every different industry or field. So it's good to, to be that sense of accomplishment as an educator, education, educate, educator. Um, professionally at work, it has really I'm the expert now. So at work, especially in a time where the Department of Education is rolling out culture responsive um, framework, and it's something that I my research was on. I think they look to me to, for um, all right. So what does the CRS really really say? How can we deconstruct it? How can we conceptualize it? And what does it mean for our community? So I think I've become the expert. Um, and you know, even my principal was, hey, Dr. Dorsey, what are your thoughts on the following policy issue? So professionally, the acknowledgement, um, it validates the work, the important work um, that you have someone in your staff who's a researcher, who's gonna dig in, uh, looking into policies, looking at how we can best address uh, the issue as it relates to our individual community. So it's been a, a great accomplishment on that end as well. Um. For me, this has been a, a moment that's a long time coming. I think I shared with Steve earlier that in reflecting upon this question, that Dr. Beth Shaw, she was the first woman who I knew who had a doctorate and, um, or rather she was working towards her doctorate because when I first met her, she was Miss Shaw. And she was the first person I think who brought it to me at the very young age, what, I might've been 14, 15, that it was possible, you know, for a woman to aspire to, to do this and to not just do it for herself, but to be able to help another community of people. Um, when we think of marginalized students who are marginalized students, I'm that marginalized student, you know, um, I would have fit into that category at one point. And she was definitely an inspiration for me. And as the world shut down during to COVID, I realized that I had begun this journey with SAGE, but it was something that I had not completed. And so I was re-entered into cohort seven, 
which is where I, I met Steve and Dr. Dorsey and my wonderful pop team who you know, uh, Andrew, Dr. Carlin and Dr. Madeline, so on and so forth. And they've all really during this process, because the, the journey, you know, it's a process and it continues to unfold. They have been a source of great inspiration and, and strength and just um, a fountain of pedagogical knowledge, you know, to draw upon and to sustain one. So when we talk about um, social emotional learning, what does that mean for students? Definitely being a part of the SAGE cohort model, there is a wealth of strength to draw upon there for educators, for educational leaders as well. Dr. Steve. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I, just thinking about that, um, earning a doctorate um, to me is just one step of the process, right? In joining a team of experts. You know, the doctorate validates that you have the training and the knowledge to be able to really look at an issue that is important to you, but in a deeper lens. So I wanted to be that expert around education. I wanted to be that go-to when it comes to um, a topic that is very dear to me. Like I'm very passionate about how are students who are considered marginalized are being represented. Um, you know, you hear researchers who say that, you know, African-Americans, you know, um, it, it, it requires them, it requires you to tap into their cultural identity for them to really excel. And, and then all the disinformation around how we learn and we can't learn, we can't achieve, and then the academic gap. So I wanted to look into those issues pretty deeply. So I think earning a doctorate provides with that training, that training and that deep quantitative lens to be able to look at research, um, not just the research that I like, the research that I also don't agree with, and to see how are they are conceptualizing these ideas around people who look like me as learners. So to me, that doctorate meaning I am part of that group of experts who can really delve into an issue and provide both sides as well, right? Why are, we, why are students of color um, not succeeding in a particular school? And look at some of the other factors, not just the, just the socioeconomic factors, what about all, is the academic setting allowing them to excel? So I think that um, I wanted to pursue that, like at my school as the first of um, to be an African-American educator in that building who's an administrator, you know, don't only use me when there's issues involving students of color, but utilize me for the expertise that I'm gonna dig in and go deep into a policy issue or research issue to look at it and see what the impact, maybe not just on the academic level, but what are the unexpected impact around student learning. And I wanna be part of that. And I think that's why a doctorate degree validates that and why I wanted to pursue to be part of that expert to dig in, you know, and that issue never stops. Like it's learner. Doctorate means you're a lifelong learner. Like you're going to look at an issue and go deep and deep entails, again, the research, right? Um, looking at what other scholars are saying about this particular topic. What contributions can you um, provide in that topic? So that's why my area of culture responsive education was something that was dear to me because I was part of a Title I school all my career, my you know, educational career and life in the DOE. So I wanted to see, right, from the lens of a student, to an educator, to administrator, to a principal, how does that really impact me and my learning and who are the adults, right, tasked to support me and how can we help them understand that how I learn so then we sort of have a balanced educational system.
So um, I think in our joint uh, research uh, lens, meaning involving myself, uh, Dr. Carlin, Dr. Madeline, and, and, and Shwana, when we look at our joint study of looking at how this culture responsiveness impacting marginalized students in the COVID-19. So we wanted to look specifically at what is culture responsive? There's multiple different lens of what that looks like. And I just wanna cite um, Lantern Billings, for example, describes uh, culture responsive pedagogy as a way of improving student learning capacity uh, of diverse students. So it's one of the focus. And then it centers around the cognitive aspects of teaching and learning, right? What is the cognitive that's required to get students to excel and how do we tap into that? So she had looked at um, some key factors involving the academic achievement of students, the social political consciousness, as well as cultural competence. And in her research, she looked at knowledge construction. So what are we doing as educators to allow students the opportunity to construct knowledge? And for me, cultural responsiveness is really being um, always um, having the understanding of how individual cultures can impact learning. And we need to be very conscious and intentional in what we do to tap into that resource, right? Because we all bring in something unique in terms of how we learn. So I think being culturally responsive of that is, is very, very important. Our research also looked at some of the key factors impacting student learning. Like we looked at uh, what are the adults doing, right? What can they change and shift in their practice to sort of like adjust their methodologies and, um, and um, understanding of how students learn and what do they need to do to make that adjustment? So it's, it's a whole piece, but also includes the adult playing a role to support students in their development and learning. I'll tap it now to uh, Dr. Hansford. Thank you, um, Dr. Steve. Um, so as you well know, Andrew, with SAGE, we each have an individual research um, dissertation topic, and then we have a team research. So what you referenced was specifically our team research. My individual research, the title of which is Elementary and Middle School Leaders' Beliefs about the viability of the PBIS framework during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So through a qualitative lens, I looked at my specific populations and what is it that they experienced during that time? What does it tell us? What does it inform us about PBIS? And what can we draw from that to look at how we can continue to make learning accessible and equitable for students you know, during this time? Um, where does the CRS framework fit in with that? Well, there are four principles of CRS, right? How do we create a welcoming environment for students? What are the high expectations and rigorous instructional learnings that we can glean from uh, what we're doing in the classroom? How do we create an inclusive curriculum and inclusive assessments that all students have equity in and a say in and access to? And what is the ongoing professional learning that we can bring forth within our school communities, within our wider district communities? So for us, I think that's what we think of when we look at culturally responsive. Those four principles, what does it mean for students? How do we impact them? And how do we as educators 
always look for that balance between student voice, parent voice, what's going on in the community, because it's about the students. How do we help them to feel a part of the community? How do we get them to look at their own culture as having value so that they continue to see themselves as part of the process? You know, they're not just a piece, they are part of the process. Um, I think that's very important, you know, from a very basic pre-K level, it's very important that we move through the, the different grade bands with that. Um, so CRS is definitely, I think, something that we can say that's here to stay. I look forward to continuing to build upon this body of research with my own individual work with PBIS, um, as well as what my, my other colleagues have brought forth in their own dissertations. And if I could just add to that, Don, thank you, Dr. Hansford, just to, just to go deeper into our collective uh, research, even though we had in, individual research, but that Dr. Hansford said, but the collectively, we looked at three key questions. One is how do educational leaders align their pedagogical beliefs of culture responsive practices to create a welcoming environment? So when we looked at that overarching piece, each of us had a contribution. So out of our 53 participants, we recognized that forcing a relationship with families and utilizing remote tools and resources can help increase stakeholder communication and accountability. We also looked at a second question is, how are the perceptions of educational leaders reinforcing culture responsive support for staff, students, and families in response to the COVID-19 pandemic? With that also, we also were able to find that um, professional development um, for specific groups are essential, including looking at black, black males with IEPs, ACEs, and LGBTQ youth. And how do we help strengthen their culture responsive instruction by leading to academic achievement. So we're able to look at that. And then the last question we looked at combined was, what are the processes that educational leaders apply to monitor and assess culture responsive instruction for marginalized students? And when we looked at that specific questions, we started to know some distinctions here. For example, uh, in one of my colleagues' research, 16 out of the 52 participants apply progress monitoring and assessment of culture responsive practices, whereas Another 16 out of 53 participants provided ongoing professional development, whereas the most we found in our collective research was 25 out of 53 participants, they looked at formal and informal modeling of learning processes in order to foster expectations. So we had some key findings and looking at how our participants that we investigated uh, utilized not only the CRS, but applying the culture responsive practices to support their improvement of student learning. So um, that's a great question around strategies matter. As you can see the background. So it, it was more or less the ability for us to um, just to share our learning as educators and researchers um, and what we have learned over the course of our experience as well as 27 months at the SAGE program. So taking the research process, taking understanding quantitative and qualitative, the rigorous part of the writing, the reflection, all these play a role when we're reflecting on strategies that we know that works. So the idea came and it could have been no other person that I would want to tap to to be my partner and then Dr. Hansford because we just had that connection. Keep in mind that we've never met personally. I don't know what Dr. Schwana looks like other than if you even say that's not even Dr. Schwana, I wouldn't even know. <laughs> 
virtual learners. <laughs> that's correct. That's that's absolutely true. So um, again, the idea was just how do we become this um, this one shop where we are providing proving strategies, not only based off our research, but also a collection of even other research we're coming across around what educators can do and do well to support their students, particularly focusing on marginalized students. And I think that with the new chancellor now, Chancellor Banks, who are now, I know that educators are always looking for ways to strengthen practice. We wanna be where that tool, where even the Department of Education, the largest system in the world, are tapping to our blog to understand the importance of specific, you know, um, targeted um, practices and strategies to support the adults so they can, you know, effectively help the students perform and excel. Uh, Dr. Hansford. Um, thank you. I 100% agree with him. And um, it's that it was Dr. Steve who brought this uh, opportunity to me. So coming out of you know, dissertation mode, defense mode. We had accomplished that. We're looking towards getting our diplomas. So the next step, you're thinking, well, what else can I do to impact the field? What else can I do to be a part of this unfolding process? And yes, during this time of isolation, people need to have strategies that they can go to. We need to be able to widen and enlarge in our educational toolkit. So I, I think definitely the, the, the name of the blog is very telling. We want to utilize uh, core and solid strategies that teachers can use, that principals can use, that systems leaders can use, and even parents you know, or students. This is not just a blog only for educators. We want it to be a place where students can come and learn something that they can take back to their individual classrooms that parents can come and learn something that they can take back into their homes or their schools. Uh, so definitely strategies matters <laughs> is important. Uh, we would like for it to be something that can be a resource um, to New York State and you know, perhaps at some point to the country you know, for educators and parents and different stakeholders to turn to. And just to add to that, um... I think one of the things that we're very proud of, and I, I think I can say that very confidently, we are doing the research and looking at others. So we're citing important research around this topic. Um, and our strategies is grounded on research. It's not just things that we think work for us, but it is uh, grounded on research that um, are noting that the importance of having educators lead this work. And we are very, we, and we are very happy to be part of that process where we're looking at what the other research is saying. So we're not peer reviewing, but what we are doing is we're extracting how and the little bite-sized pieces, telling educators, hey, we know this work in terms of helping students. Here it is, we're summarizing it for you, and why don't you try it? And then even asking them to give us some feedback as well about how the strategy is helping their communities move along to supporting children. I think I would be open to doing both, um, to having a virtual platform as well as an in-person platform. For me, one of the key learnings that has come out of this pandemic is that remote learning has its place in education and that in terms of technology moving forward, it's here to stay. So we've had years of doing in-person learning. We know what that looks like, you know, we know what the research says behind it, 
we're still learning about virtual. You know, we're still learning how to do remote and to do it well um, and to do it with integrity, you know, and to do it with fidelity. So it's not something that we can just throw out and say, no, it doesn't work, especially having done it under the duress of COVID-19. There's so much more to explore here. There's further research that needs to be done. Um, so definitely, I would be open to providing support in person as well as virtually, because I think there's a lot to explore there and to learn from. What do you think, Dr. Steve? I, I totally agree. I think when you ask the question, you know, why did we want to become doctors? I think the answer is very fitting. We, we recognize the importance of the professional adult learning. I think part of the adult learning is to be able to do workshops, right, whether it's virtual and in person. But we have been able to understand the learning virtually. Is, it's also hard, right? You know, when we transition to full remote, at, just as students, um, and balancing that with professional work, with collaboration. So we want to take some of that learning as well and then be able to support school systems who want to transition to that platform or doing it in a way that, you know, it's benefiting all stakeholders, parents, students, staff, educators. So I think uh, having that experience and be able to um, want to continue this work, whether it is in-person or virtual, is something that comes with being a doctor, comes with that that important responsibility as doctoral, um, not, not students, but as graduates, right, of the SAGE program, like 27 months of intense work and taking that intense work and to set up in a way where we can support other educators, whether it's through an in-person or a workshop is something that comes with becoming a doctor, I think. That's a great question. And um, I think in what we have considered that it has to be a balance you know between the two so what are the practical realities of what people are facing in the school system in the community but also we want to match that or balance it out with what research is saying whether it's qualitative whether it's quantitative where's that coming from so so i i definitely think that it's a, a balance and a marriage between the two so it's it's definitely an organic unfolding process, but you know, we want to look at the contributions of people as they're being celebrated on a monthly or thematic unit, but it's important to realize that we don't only celebrate people during that specific month, that because it's designated as Black History Month or Women's Month, we celebrate them every day, you know, in different ways that we can, but we bring it, I think, specifically to consciousness at that point, because it's something that we're all doing together you know, in the month of February or in the month of March, if you will. I like that, Dr. Hansford. I mean, I, a key takeaway for me, I, I love the organic, the practical realities, be able to match the month themes. I think we had all that in mind. So we specifically have, and there's a lot of stuff that we have in terms of ideas we would love to write about. But I think for us, um, definitely has to be something that is purposeful, right? And timely, like remote learning is something that's very timely. There's still a lot of research to be done of its impact and just adding the black history is america history is something that we don't want to just designate one month to celebrate the beautiful cause of the african-american experience right so we want that to be an organic piece like celebrating not only women's month next month but something that is also organic so our writing um 
And we're also encouraging other uh, uh, stage graduates to join our force as writers as well, because we have a lot to offer. And we believe that, especially Pop Team 4B. So um, th this is and, and this is me giving them a shout out because Dr. together- Dr. Carlin and Dr. Madeline. Dr. Madeline, Dr. Carlin, as a team, we believe that, you know, we, are, we have something special. And I think the special is the collaboration, the teamwork. We trust each other. We rely on each other. And I don't think at the stage, the ending of stage, we felt like this stops. We're continually, Shawan and I are continually meeting to discuss, you know, the specific issues, even to the point where we're considering even a podcast. So there's a lot to be done around this work. So, but but thank you so much, Juan. I think I love the fact that you said the practical realities piece because I'm still in the DOE. So there's issues all the time with the DOE, whether it's policy issues or ideas. And I think that I can take some of that and say, all right, this is some of the challenges or the problem of practice using SAGE training. This is what the DOE is currently struggling with. Let's sit down, let, let's map it out and how we can pull research. And that's what we want this strategies matter to be able to do to support them in that, in that area as well. Well, I, I, I definitely would like to see it be a key resource for other educators, for system leaders. Um, I think it's also important to have a global lens. So for perhaps that other educators outside of the country internationally can look at to say what's going on in education in the US, as we should also be looking at what's going on in education, you know, out there internationally. I think that's one of the things that COVID has helped us with in this time of isolation to be able to look at each other and see into one another's worlds. Um, I think that's very, very important as we continue to, to build that idea of welcoming and affirming environments, not just here in the US, but also abroad. Um, well, definitely, I, I would like to see that be a key research um, tool and resource. And um, yeah, I think that's the most important thing for me. Yeah, similar, I, I like to think of the educational system as having uh, multiple pillars, right? Where there's parents, there's students, there's educators, administrators, uh, teachers and be able to be that tool that provides those pillars with support and strategies. So when it talks about strategies, parents should also have strategies of how students learn or their children learn. I give you something that I do at home that's very, very simple for me. Um, I start my day with my children by asking them, um, give me a high of the day, give me something that was low and give me something that was unexpected. That's a strategy because of my busy time at work to come home and quickly get to summer. Okay, kids, what's happening with you? So. That's a strategy that I share with my parents during meetings. And like, oh, really? I say, yes, I know everyone is busy, but you always want to engage your children at home. But something as simple as this. So strategies matter should be that place or that hub where parents, educators, uh, system leaders from superintendents to deputy superintendents, even the chancellor can pull a strategy that they can utilize to affect change around the system. So that's something that I envision. And then in five years or six years, uh, we should be the the go-to, the go-to blog where we are growing with multiple, multiple writers uh, from Sage and other universities. Other where people, yeah, correct. That people can come in and 
and say, hey, I'm thinking about trying this strategy around culture responsiveness or even uh, something that supports um, whether it's black males, Hispanic males or females that they can quickly grab and apply and then give us feedback. I think the feedback loop is also important when we have a blog because you want them to say, hey, I tried this, it did work or did not work. So that's where I envision us growing uh, like a multi, like a big hub with all the education system is saying, hey, did you check out Strategies Matters? And that's what we want, including a partnership with Sage. I think it's important that we have a partnership with the institution that provide us with the training so we can do this work and become doctors. Absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. If I can chime in, I think that was one of the reasons why I, I we brought it to your attention, you know, that we were moving forward on this new venture and we have other things coming, you know, we have an idea for a book in the work amongst the four of us. And we'd like to write an article uh, specifically about collaboration in the SAGE cohort model and the strengths and how it has supported us moving forward through the dissertation process. So a lot to do here. There's a lot of important work. There's a lot of uh, there are strategies to share and to, to learn from. I would start with the power of believing, right? I think the power of believing is so important. Um, after Sage, or let me just start with during Sage, I, I remember, um, you know, we went to Albany and we met the previous cohort. I think just hearing from the perspective of the, at that time, I think it was going to be the graduating class. And one of the things I remember, one of uh, the candidates indicated is that you want to be consistent. You don't want to fall behind in your work. You want to be consistent. And he said, um, you know, get these reflections out, get these papers out and your confidence start building. So that power of believing and you start believing in yourself that you can do this work. Um, and an advice would be the professors are very, very accessible. I think it's in that cohort model for me made it so important having an advisor, having a Dr. Alamo that I can talk to when I am stressed beyond like, oh my God, at work, like when we transitioned to COVID, I was like, what? what? This is new for all of us. And then the learning that was required is, but Sage understanding that we are also educators and we have a nine to five job. Sometimes it's like even not even a nine to five, but they give us that, that time to get this work done and supporting us. So for young people um, who are considering a doctorate degree, I say, take it very, very seriously. Know what you are at least considering. What is the problem practice? Like, what do you want to solve in around education? No, not so much what do you want to do when you grow up, but what you want to solve. I want to solve the ethnic, you know, the segregation. I want to solve um, the, um, you know, the, the race and the achievement gap. I want to really solve that. So I'm very passionate about that, particularly around marginalized students. So. I had that interest and I think Sage was allowed me to see um, how research, right? Um, understanding the methodologies can support me so that I can have an audience to understand and accept this work of what we can do together to support students. Dr. Hansberg. Thank you, uh, Dr. Steve there. Um, that was a great question, you know, especially for people who may feel like I'm not sure if I have what it takes or if I'm not sure if I'm enough, um, whether you're a student or an adult. I think that I know I have been there and I believe we all 
have been there. Um, one of my favorite, favorite quotes is by James Baldwin, and I'm just gonna throw it out there. So not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And I believe that research is about facing what is in front of us and then doing the research, doing the work, doing the analysis and looking at how can we make some sort of recommendation to affect change. So Dr. White, thank you <laughs> for everything that you taught me, um, for being a support and, and for, for really believing when in those moments when I felt I couldn't, that I could. Because definitely what Steve has said is the, the professors are beyond excellent at SAGE. They sustain us, they strengthen us, they challenge us, they push us, you know, and they let us know that they're there to support us and that we can, that we matter, that we have something to offer as systems leaders. Uh, they have pushed just the idea of creating partnerships within our teams. And for us, that as a part of POP Team 4B, it's something that has really transcended the, the, the dissertation journey. We're a family, you know, we are a family and we work together as family, we collaborate, we lean on one another, we look uh, to one another for feedback and ideas. We've learned how to build trust and communicate and to remember that all of our voices matter. Uh, those are definitely key tenets that I think that many of us come to SAGE with, but that SAGE helps us to continue to build upon as we're thinking about what will happen when we leave, as we're thinking about how we can use our dissertation pieces, as we're thinking about how can we make the world better for the students that we serve. I want to extend a very special thank you to our guests for joining us today. We really, really, really appreciate all the insight that you've given us. And for more information on our podcast, be sure to follow our social media platforms on Instagram at Site Online, Facebook Site Online, and Twitter Site Online. That's C I T E O N L I N E. And you can follow us on LinkedIn as well. Till next time.